blessings of the Lord maketh rich and addeth no sorrow with it. How many want to be blessed? Lift your hands. You, you really want to be blessed? That's a kind of a loose term in our generation, but I want, to, I want to live a blessed life. I don't believe you're blessed accidentally. I believe you're blessed because you're doing something. You're doing something right. Amen. Praise God. Brother Mallory, if you'll make your way up. I'm so honored to have Brother Sister Mallory with us today. We give honor to his wife. So glad she's with him today. Clap your hands for Sister Mallory over here. God bless you. I'd kind of met him in passing at the Impact Conference. And no doubt our paths have crossed a few times through the years. But we really connected this past Impact Conference uh, fellowship one night. and Great spirit. Very great spirit. Man of God. Got faith in God. Doing a great work in Hawaii. Somebody's got to do it, so he's going to do it. Praise God. <laughs> he was showing us pictures last night. So beautiful, so beautiful. But it's a challenging work. Very challenging. It's very much tourism there. And any of you ever been there, you know kind of what it's like. But very challenging work. But God's blessed him with a great church and great labor he's doing, him and his wife. We're honored to have them with us today. And he's going to be led by the Spirit. And we're going to believe God for healings and miracles today. I'm going to let him tell you a little bit about his story, whatever he feels led today. But he's a miracle standing up here with us. He's a miracle himself. He knows all about it. I'm sure he'll share some of that with us. But make a good Grand Bay welcome to Brother Jeff Mallory today and his wife. And we're going to preach with him in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord, church. The presence of the Lord is indeed in this house. Amen. Somebody needed something today. And I believe that by the time the service is over, what you need, you're going to get. Amen. My wife and I were not supposed to be here today. We were supposed to be at home, at our home church in, in Maui. But our flight was canceled. And we stayed. I believe people pray, and your prayers create the word you need to hear. When you, when you pray and you say, God, I need an answer, you don't realize the burden that it puts on a minister somewhere because it, it might cancel that man's flight. It might cause him to descend into sickness. It might cause him to go to a place where the words are. And we need more men and women who are willing to go where the words are. Amen. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. So I, I hope nobody takes for granted the word you're going to hear here today. Because it cost us something. Amen. It's a privilege to be with you here today. Your pastor and his wife have such wonderful spirits. We've gotten to know them a little bit, want to get to know them more. And uh, since we live on an island, my wife and I have had to learn some life skills. And one of the life skills we've had to learn is we're, we've become bridge builders. We're, we're far away from, from people, and so if we need encouragement, we have to build a bridge to it. And we work at friendships. 
Amen. It, it takes work to have good friends. You got to put good friends in your life. You got to you got to have good voices in your life. Amen. Just don't take what the world puts around you. Just you got to build bridges to the people. You got to target somebody and say that's a person I want in my life. Amen. They they've got something that I need and you you build bridges and we're building bridges to your your pastor and his family and we give honor to Bishop Davis. Amen. I was watching him worship over there. My Lord, the man might live forever. Amen. I know nobody lives forever, but when I'm when I'm in his age, I want to be I want to be just like him. Amen. Amen. Great. Give honor to all the men and women of God who are in here today. Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11. Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11. When the choir was singing, I thought we could really just go ahead and just cut loose. Amen. And I bet some of you thought that that could happen too. However, I was certain standing there that we wouldn't because I have a word today. Amen. And so remember what you were feeling before because when we're done, we're going to just go ahead and pick up where we left off. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Everybody say the blood. Notice it says flesh and blood. That is, that's physical. But then in this same verse, it transitions. It, it, it transitions, and you don't even know it if you're not aware of what's going on, but it transitions from the physical to the spiritual because it says, And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. The soul is spiritual. There's something about the blood that goes beyond the physical. The blood is what bridges the gap between the flesh and the soul. And the blood makes sense in the context of the flesh as well as in the context of the soul. It is the one thing that just makes sense in any dimension. The blood doesn't belong to the flesh or the soul. So stay with me just for a moment. I'll let you be seated in just a minute. But... The first time the blood is mentioned in the Bible, it is spilled on the ground. It is outside of the body of Abel. Abel is now dead. And the first time the blood is mentioned, Abel is not alive, but the blood is speaking to God anyway because there's something about the blood. Then we see it on the altar. The blood is on the altar and drawn from flesh, speaking to God, atoning for souls. Because God looks at blood differently than He looks at flesh. Thank God for that. God told His people, He said, Here, I'm going to give you all of these animals, and these animals are for you to eat. But before you eat the animal, you have to let the blood, because the flesh is yours, the blood is mine. There's something about the blood. When you learn something about the blood and the physical, it echoes into another dimension, into the spiritual. And this morning, I want to preach to you the parable of the blood. The parable of the blood. Lord, we thank you that your presence is in this house. God, we thank you that whenever we talk about the blood, 
that things begin to shake loose in the spiritual realms. God, we believe that in this service here today, you are going to break strongholds. You are going to break curses. God, that you are going to bring revelation to somebody's soul here today. God, we ask that you would do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, in Jesus' name. You may be seated. This morning's message is a two million, or this afternoon, I'm not used to this. I don't mind it, I'm just not used to it. But this, this, this afternoon's message is a two million dollar message. That's not because I'm reflecting on what I think my preaching is, is all about, but if it's just been two million dollars in the making. And if you're here today in the medical community, you're going to understand one aspect of this message. Uh, however, if you're a spirit-filled believer, which I know most of you are, if you know about the book of Acts, you're going to get a whole other side of this message. This message today is my story. It is a parable as well. You know what a parable is? It's a story with dual or multiple meanings. It's a story told alongside of another truth. And uh, as this message goes on, if you, as a spirit-filled believer, if you understand the dual meaning of something that I say, please respond somehow, clap your hands, uh, acknowledge, acknowledge that something is, is parallel here or there is a parable that you have recognized so that people who are around you who may not know about what we know, they might realize, take note here because something is happening. I would like to say that I'm glad my wife is here. My wife is my hero. And uh, through this story, I won't reference her a whole lot, but any of you that have been caregivers, um, you can read between the lines and you, you know what this woman had to go through and how faithful she was in order to make, make it through this situation. Amen. Uh, most people have to go to heaven to meet their angel, and I just married mine, so I wanted to get, a, get to know her before I got to heaven. Amen. Um, this story began one night. It was about four years ago. We went to sleep, and all was well. And uh, the next morning, that was a Friday night, we went to sleep. Saturday morning, we woke up, and there was a tumor the size of a large egg that had appeared under my ear on my neck. And it was diagnosed to be a rare and hard-to-treat cancer known as mantle cell lymphoma, which was thought to be incurable. This is a blood cancer. So when I preach about the blood today, I'm preaching a life and death message. I was told that my flesh was healthy, but since my blood carried death in it, I began to wonder about the blood. I felt good. I felt as though I would be able to ignore the blood, but the experts let me know. You can't ignore the blood. It will catch up to you one day. They said, we are going to have to deal with this curse in your blood. And so four years ago, the doctors began a desperate fight to save my life. And by the time this, this disease was diagnosed, it was already advanced to stage four. I had tumors from my neck all the way under my arms, abdomen, in my chest, my pelvis. There were... Uh, there were tumors on my organs. There was a large tumor on my liver that was near the bile duct. 
My spleen was enlarged with cancer. It was in my lymph nodes. It was in my intestines. My bone marrow was found to be 70% cancer. To make matters worse, we do live on the beautiful island of Maui in, in Hawaii. And it is a beautiful place to live unless you have incurable blood cancer. And God led us on a miraculous journey from our home in search of doctors that knew something about this disease. It was a miracle that, and I won't go into it now, but we were invited into a clinical trial at a hospital 5,000 miles away from our home in Washington, D.C. at the National Cancer Institute, which is one of the institutes in the National Institute of Health. In this National Institute of Health, it's a massive research facility that employs about 20,000 people, but it only has 220 beds for patients because it is a research facility. You cannot walk into this uh, facility. It is surrounded by um, a high-security fence. You have to go through screening, much like when you get on an airplane. They check your bags, and they look in the car, and and they also subject you to background checks and uh, things like that. You cannot go to that hospital unless you have been invited and screened and whatnot. It turned out to be a very lonely experience for my wife because many of the times I would be in a surgery or in treatment and she would be alone there. But it turned out that the world's number one authority on lymphoma, a Dr. Wyndham Wilson, was studying this rare and evil disease that was in my blood and and we were accepted into this clinical trial. I have found out a lot about the blood as a result. The blood is an incredibly complex system. It has proven to be far more involved than scientists could have imagined just a few years ago. And uh, if you don't mind, if you could show the, the, the image. That's, that is an actual image of the blood. That is not a painting. That was taken at the hospital where I am, at the National Institutes of Health. And in that image, you can see three different cells, three different types of cells. The red cells are, of course, the red blood cells. The, the, the green are platelets. The orange or uh, yellow are white blood cells, or they're actually called T cells. T cells. If you were to open your Bible... And you could leave that image up. But if you were to open your Bible and locate just the letter O, inside of that O is a small white spot. If you put a drop of blood that would only fill the space inside of that O, there would be about 3 million red blood cells. And then, of course, the T cells. And there's a lot going on in the blood. The T cells that you see there, which are the, the orange or yellow cells. They are the natural-born killers of the blood. They, as you see them there, are at rest. They're off-duty. However, if an infection enters your, your body or your bloodstream, those innocent-looking um, round look like they're just uh, soft or whatnot, but they, they change. They, they are shape-shifters. They are real-life transformers, and they... Uh, will respond to a threat that's in the blood. They'll grow arms, they'll grow legs like spiders, and they will run to the source of the infection. They grab hold of the walls of the blood vessels or the capillaries, and they can actually crawl through blood vessels, crawl through flesh. They're, they're an incredible thing, but I'm learning a lot about the blood, and 
the, the, the doctors there made our, themselves available to us. Some of our nation's uh, leading scientists are at that hospital, and one of the things they allowed us to do was to have uh, talks with scientists, and I'm a nerd, and I love asking questions. And they said that in the blood there is something that is very um, much like a switch. And of course, it's not like a light switch, but they pointed to a light switch, and they trying to explain it to me. They said that in the blood there's a molecular switch in the immune system. They said that the blood can literally be turned off or on. And when it's on, it's fighting for you. When it's off, your flesh is defenseless. And no one who has ever lived, I believe, knows more about this family of blood cancers than our doctors. And uh, my doctor, Dr. Wilson, was credited with discovering and established the treatment and, and the names for about 60 of the world's known 68 lymphomas. And from the very beginning, these experts at the National Institutes of Health did not give us any sense of hope. They told us, they said, we're going to invite you into our study, but um, our team is going to partner together with you to try to learn how this disease behaves so that one day we can hope to find a cure, as well as for other blood cancers such as uh, multiple myeloma and some of the other ones. And, they said, in return, we're going to offer you the best care that money can buy. We're, we're not going to spare any expense. We're going to try things on you that are not available to other patients and other hospitals. And they said, we're going to just give you the best we can. However, we want you to know that no matter how much money is invested, no matter how much cutting-edge technology we employ, in spite of the latest science has to offer, the treatments we propose won't cure the disease. They said, we don't believe that medicine or surgeries will cure it. Even though this is a facility, this is a hospital that employs robots that can enter into the, 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 the body of a person, the cavity of a person, and perform the surgeries of the most delicate variety. They can, with, with very tiny incisions, go in and they can ex, uh, take out many tumors at once inside the abdomen. And they, 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 offer, uh, they offer the best that science can, can have. They said, we don't offer you any hope because medicine can't do what the blood can do. And so it was a roller coaster ride with the disease, and it was stage four twice, and it was a desperate fight for survival. And the doctors were true to their word. They, they fought the disease with everything they had, and they did everything they knew to do. They used experimental procedures and treatments and chemotherapy and surgeries and, and different things that they hoped would keep the cancer away. And medically speaking, nothing was working. And so after two years, the doctors who, who were the world's authorities on lymphoma, and I'm stressing that for a reason, amen, because there really is only one true authority. They, they called us in on, it was Valentine's Day last year, and that was quite a, quite a Valentine's Day for me and my sweetheart, and they called us in to admit defeat. They said, we have done all we can do for you. It's been two years now, and we've, we've done all we can do. We're, we're releasing you from our care. And so it was the end of the road with the doctors. And the disease was resistant to all treatment. And so when the team of doctors left the room, I can't explain to you the feeling that, that we were plunged into. You see, when the world's experts say there's nothing we can do, suddenly your situation takes on a whole new perspective. And, and suddenly you really understand what it means to have faith. Amen. Because we, 
we, we might say we have faith, but we cling to things, don't we? We, we? we prop ourselves up with other things while we're saying we have faith. Amen. It's only when you have no options at all that you find out what your faith really is all about. And so I began to realize if you can't fix the blood, what hope is there? And my wife and I were left alone in the, in the room with the head research nurse, Julie, and when the doctors had left the room, it took us a while, my wife and I, to, to fight back to that spot of faith that we, we stood on during this whole uh, situation. And, uh, and when we got our voice back and wiped the tears out, out of our eyes, I looked at Julie and I said, Julie, if I was your brother or your, your son, what, what advice would you give me? And she had genuine sorrow in her eyes. Uh, she'd been our head research nurse for several years and been a wonderful person in our life and she, she was genuinely sad when she said, Jeff, I don't know what I would tell you to do. And so we were stunned. And we were thinking, to whom should we go? We'd been to many doctors. We'd exhausted all of our options, medically speaking, in search of a cure. And I was a man with an issue of blood. We went back home to, to Maui and our option there on the island that we live, there is a single oncologist, one cancer doctor that treats everybody that is available to us. And, and I knew we would go, have to go see him and didn't have much hope that would do much. But we were sitting at home wondering what the future held, and it had been two and a half years of fighting. It had been uh, three surgeries and months and months of chemotherapy, it, deep artery blood clots and kidneys going close to shutting down. and years, four years of antibiotics. I just quit antibiotics last month, but it was four years being on antibiotics and, and bone pain, intestinal pain that threatened to, to rob me of my sanity. And my colon ruptured from the disease and, and they had to cut out my colon in emergency surgery and install an ostomy. And we'd been home, away from home for so very long, our savings wiped out, no strength to build it back. And bills piling up and the church that we pastor back home in, in, in Maui, their, their, their faith was, was shaken and they were trying, they were having revival, but you know, it, w- it was a fight. And then our children were, were struggling with this. We have three children and they were alone. They needed their mom and dad. And we were just trying to stay alive. We didn't have the resources, the emotional or spiritual, whatever, to help really anybody else, it seemed like. And we were just under attack, discouraged and tired and and, and I'm leaving something out right now. There is more to the story I'm not telling you. But I'm talking about the blood, so I'll, I'll leave this out. We'll visit it again. But we had not been home very long after the doctor said we give up when the phone rang. And on the other end of the line was an experimental uh, transplant department from the National Institute of Health, and it was an experimental bone marrow transplant team of the National Cancer Institute, and they said, we have a new procedure that we're pioneering, and as of now, only 10 people in the world have undergone this kind of a transplant procedure. You would be number 11. They said, you need a bone marrow transplant. You need this. Since the curse of death is in your blood, you need new blood or you will not live. Now, the experimental thing, transplants have been around for, for many years, the stem cell transplants. That's something that's been around for a long time. But if you'll look at that picture, the orange cells there, the T cells, 
those are those are the um, that's the experimental part, and they were we're learning that if you can if you can train those natural born killers of the human body, if you can harvest those, and if you can train them, and if you can I guess give them superpowers, let them live longer and be more aggressive and teach them how to fight that disease, we can transplant them into you and they will fight the disease instead of chemotherapy and whatnot. And they say that's the future of a lot of, um, a lot of cancer treatment is going to be those little T cells that are up there. But they said, they said that um, we're offering you this because you've got the curse in your blood. You see, I wasn't low on blood. I had plenty of blood. I just had the wrong blood. And in the beginning, I wanted to know. I said, is it a food that I ate? Is it something I came into contact with? Would it be something in the environment, asbestos or uh, processed foods, pesticides, and something like that? And they said, we have a division of the National Cancer Institute that's studying all of those things, and we found, found direct links between some of those things and certain cancers and diseases. They said, however, in the blood, it's just different. They said the blood, it, it, it just stopped fighting for you. And so the fact that I didn't do anything to cause it meant that nothing I did would reverse it. I was learning something about faulty blood. You see, the answer wasn't in me. The answer was in the blood. I couldn't be saved by my own good works. I had to find new blood. And so through this trial, I'm becoming a student of the blood. And one day we were out from the hospital, and, and uh, at one point we were there at that hospital for nine months, got to go home three, three nights out of nine months. And so we were there a lot. But one day we were out in the city of Bethesda, Maryland, which is inside the beltway of Washington, D.C. It's where a lot of the doctors live that work there. And one of the doctors that was the, is actually the head doctor of all transplants at the National Institutes of Health, Dr. Fowler, was standing in front of me. It was at an ice cream shop, and he was getting, he was getting an ice cream cone. And, and uh, I asked him there. We had a little bit of time to just visit, and it was a hot July day. And he had an ice cream cone in his hand, and ice cream was melting because it was close to 100 degrees there. And I asked him, I said, Dr. Fowler, tell me something about the blood that I don't know. When I said that, his eyes lit up and he forgot about the ice cream. And the ice cream just proceeded from that point on to just melt right down his, the, the cone onto the ground and down his elbow. And he had my head spinning because the blood is amazing. Chills were creeping up my spine. And you might think I'm exaggerating, but I'm not. He, he said, he, remember, there's something out of, the world, out of this world about the blood. It's, it just doesn't really fit with the flesh. There, there's something, it doesn't live by the same rules as the flesh. It, there, there's something in it that's amazing. And I, I was starting to find some of this stuff out. But Dr. Fowler blew my mind because the first thing that he said was a burst of revelation in me. Because he said, he said Jeff, he said, the blood is aware. He said, the blood is aware of everything in the body. He said the blood is constantly sampling its environment. 
He spoke of the vast intelligence that's inside of the blood. He said that we are discovering there is so much intelligence in the blood that the only thing that rivals that intelligence in the human body is the brain itself. And sometimes we wonder if there's not more intelligence in the blood. He said, consider the task and the journey of the blood. The blood leaves the heart. And the blood, once it leaves the heart, it has a journey of 60,000 miles. It travels across veins and arteries and capillaries. And it, 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 it leaves the heart, travels 60,000 miles, and just over 20 seconds returns back again to the heart. The journey around the earth is a mere 25,000 miles and we think that's far, and, and, and man, when we go back to, to Maui, it's a long flight to go just that far. But the blood is able to travel 60,000 miles in just over 20 seconds. And in that journey of 60,000 miles going that fast, it visits over 7 trillion cells. He said, as the blood flows, it is visiting 7 trillion cells, and there is a rapid-fire flow of information and decisions on a scale that dwarfs a supercomputer that never stops between the cells and the blood. He spoke of the interaction between the flesh and the blood, and he said, in order for the blood to work, it has to know what each individual cell needs, and in return, the cells have to know what the blood is capable of delivering. To understand the blood, you have to get into the flow. He kept talking about the flow, and I got excited because it, it's, it's fluid, and, and it blows where it listeth. And... He was talking, he said, as the blood flows, it has three main functions in the body. And the spiritual aspects of this were coming into line for me too. And I was already into this parallel or this parable of the blood idea. And, 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 and the, the blood isn't part of the flesh. But as the blood flows, it cleanses the flesh, it nourishes the flesh, and it defends the flesh. It's not part of the flesh, but it serves the flesh. He said, this is easy to say, but unimaginably complex in reality, because every cell of your body is a self-contained entity of its own. The cells in your body, they do not look at themselves as just a, a, a big, big body. They look at themselves as a cell. They have needs. The cells cannot feed themselves. The cells cannot... Uh, nourish themselves or defend themselves or cleanse themselves, the, the cells of your flesh are completely helpless without the blood. He said, imagine, imagine that the, uh, the, the dump truck that comes to your house to pick up your garbage also drops off your food. And it's not packaged in any certain way, but it's able to be sanitary. He said that's what the blood does. The same cell that drops off food picks up waste and nothing 
is contaminated. He said the blood is an amazing, amazing thing. But each, each cell has a list of needs and the blood meets them all. When it comes to the flesh, the blood is omniscient, omnipresent, and all-powerful. The blood is the answer to any question that the cell might have. He described how they don't yet understand it, but the cells of our flesh are communicating with the blood and the blood with the cells. And he used the term wirelessly because there's no wires, there's no nerves, there's, there's no connection. The blood has no point where it connects with the body. It just flows. I was sitting in the hospital room for a while and I was in there for so long I really got to know people pretty well. And there was one of the scientists, he was a young man, brilliant man, and uh, he was he was in his in his uh, early 30s, and I had just gotten a new Mac computer, and so it was late at night. I couldn't sleep, and he he was on duty, and there was nothing for him to do at the moment. And he came. He he was in my room just trying out that new computer, and um, got talking. He said, "Hey, some interesting stuff going on downstairs." And I was on the third floor, down in the basement of that huge facility. Is is the animal? There, all the animals are there. The rabbits and the mice and different things and they they'd go up and they'd try stuff on me and then they'd go try it on the animals and see which one died first and uh, <clears throat> he said in our freezer in our freezer we got an albino bat and he said we put him in there because he, he don't like to be messed with so we put him into the freezer it drops his body temperature he goes into to hibernation and we can do stuff with him and he don't bite us and he said, we use the albino bat because they have a very thin membrane for the wing. And we're able to put a microscope over that wing, and we can see the blood as it lives in its natural environment, coursing through the, the, the blood vessels of this, this bat. And he said, we got the bat stretched out, had this, this powerful uh, tel- mic- uh, microscope on, on these, these blood vessels as the, the blood's going by. And he said, we waited until one of those T cells, one of those orange cells, came into view. And he said, we introduced an infection into the bloodstream. I'm sorry, I'm a nerd. I love this stuff. I'm probably boring you to death. He said, we introduced an infection into the bloodstream of this, this bat on the other side of its wing, far away from where we were looking. And he said, would you believe that at the moment, the moment, the moment that we entered the bloodstream of that bat with an infection. He said that orange, that T-cell, changed shape in front of our eyes. He says we have no idea how those things know what is going on inside of the body. But he said the blood knows. He said it grew arms and it just started scampering away. I thought, man, that's pretty incredible. The blood doesn't work the same way the flesh works. I wanted to know one thing in particular from the lymphoma team because the lymphoma team, they were the world's experts, and they released me. They gave up. They said, there's nothing more we can do for you. And they said, the reason we cannot cure this disease is because this disease is everywhere in you. And they said, you know, we, we've done surgery on you. We've, we've taken out tumors. We can't take them all out. There'd be nothing left of your insides. And they said, 
we can't give you enough chemotherapy. We can't kill all of them. If one of them lives, if just one of those mantle cells live, it's going to come back because the blood has made a deal with it to allow it to live. And so I asked them, I said, I was standing there in that ice cream parlor that day with Dr. Fowler's ice cream dripping off of his hand. I asked him, I said, Dr. Fowler, the lymphoma team said that they cannot cure this because the disease plays hide and seek with the medicine and with the knife. I said, what's the difference about what you propose? How can you be hopeful this will work? And I wanted to shout and dance all over that ice cream parlor because that doctor looked at me that day and he put a big smile on his face and he said, because nothing can hide from the blood. You see, I was getting a revelation about the blood. The blood knows. Trust me, the blood knows. The doctors would come to me and the doctors would say, how do you feel? And that was a small part of what they would respond or how they would treat me. The biggest part was they were going to draw blood and vials and vials of blood and they were going to test it because they didn't really care what I said. They wanted to know what did the blood say. In fact, they're saying that in the future, almost everything that's wrong in the flesh is going to be revealed in the blood. They said one day they're going to be able to tell how long you're going to live just by a simple blood test. Because the blood. When you need new blood, not just any blood will do. Can I get an amen? The doctor said, we've got to find a match for this to work. But you see, this was my life they were talking about. I wasn't thinking match. I was thinking Savior. Somebody, I need a Savior to step up. Many offered to help me, but I didn't need the blood of many. I needed the blood of just one. When you need new blood, you better know whose name to call. Amen. You can't just stand out there and shout generically, I need blood. You don't do that. It's got to be a specific name. And so I picked up the phone and I called my blood brother, Carrie is my younger brother, and I said, Carrie, I need your blood. That was a weird conversation. He likes Harley Davidson's and different things and works for Honeywell. Normally we talk and we talk about it. This, I didn't need a transfusion. I needed a transplant. I hoped he would hear my cry, but you see, I was an older brother and I haven't always been such a godly man. When we were kids, I was pretty mean to that little boy. There were things I did and said that I had, I, I regretted. I regretted them terribly now sitting on the phone asking him for for his blood. My brother was moved with compassion for me. He looked beyond my faults and saw my need. And he said, I'll go. So he left his home in Phoenix, Arizona, and he came willingly to the place and time ordained for him to shed his blood for me. Carrie was the only person we had tested. The odds were stacked against us. He turned out to be a perfect 10-10 match. He submitted himself to a battery of tests to see if there were any hidden flaws or defects in him. And when the time of testing was over, they declared, we find no fault in him. 
I got chills when I thought, when I thought, listen, I'm the one with the curse of death, but he's the one who has to bleed. Where have I heard that before? They hooked him up to the machines and, and, and with lines coming out of his arteries and they injected him with, with these growth factors that would cause his bone marrow to go into hyperproduction and produce the, the miracle of creation known as stem cells from him. And it took, it took a couple of weeks and they forced his body into to hyperproduction there and, and uh, it, it, his bone marrow began producing the cells, that, the cells that I needed and they cycled the blood in and out of his body nearly a dozen times. You know, my brother didn't have to do it, but I'm so glad he did. I wasn't there that day that he shed his blood for me, but that didn't matter because the blood would wait for me. I'll never forget that picture there, the, the day he sent it to me, sitting there in that hospital gown, still hooked up to the machines, and that's the first bag there. He was holding it, and his, his smile said it all. This blood is for you. I cried as I beheld that blood. The blood may not mean anything to you, but when you understand... There might be some that don't want to talk about the blood. You look at that picture and it, you you're squeamish and you, you turn away. And I'm sorry if it's offensive to you. But if you only knew what it meant, it's not repulsive to me. I don't cringe back from that. That's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. If I was a songwriter, I would write songs about the blood. If I was a poet, I would write poems about the blood. Because that right there is my new life. You take it for granted. You have life and you don't even think about it. But the blood. Hey, you got some water? He shed his life-giving blood for me. You may be seated. You know, the nice thing for him, as tough as that process was, he would never have to do it again. Once was enough. They said, we factored every possible scenario in for you, and we have gotten all we need from him the first time. He'll never have to bleed again. And so as they were harvesting the last drop of blood from me, he called me up on the phone to tell me, it is finished. And so after tying up a few loose ends, my brother ascended up into the clouds on U.S. Airways, headed back home to Phoenix. But listen, it's a happy story because although he was gone in body, he left behind the blood. I was comforted even though he had departed. He had done all he could do in the flesh. Now I understood it's time for his blood to do its work in me.
You see what I mean about sometimes you have to go where the words are? I couldn't make this up. God will put you into valleys. Listen, I don't believe every bad thing that comes to you, God does. I don't believe that. It rains on the just and the unjust. Life just happens. Life and chance, okay? You know, if you, if you take a step and there's a nail on that board, you're going to step on the nail just like anybody else. However, however, the difference is God is with you. He said, I will be with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> Somebody here, you might be going through a trial in your life right now. Don't waste time in the valley of the shadow of death grumbling. Get busy. Start looking around for some nugget down there because God has allowed you to go through this. He's with you. And you will find that the richest ground in the journey of life is at the bottom of the valley of the shadow of death. And the reason is, is most travelers just pass over that. They're in a hurry. Let me get out of here. I want to get, I want to escape. But listen, if you know he is with you, find what you need to find in the valley and then go. And so the transplant was to be a 100-day procedure in Washington, D.C. And we again left our home in, in Hawaii traveled to that hospital and on the east coast and after the admitting me they they told me about the place that I would be filled the room and I was nervous and excited not knowing what to expect and I want it to happen right away but they said don't be impatient they said it can't happen right away because you have to be prepared before you receive the gift my room was on the third floor they told us to go there and tarry a while So while we were tarrying in that upper room, waiting for the promised gift, we had hope. And when the day of transplant was fully come, the nurse rushed into that room with the first of three bags of bright red cells First thing she did when she came in, she said, These cells have been frozen, and we have 15 minutes from the time they thaw out to the time they enter you, or they won't work. So I was thinking, Man, the clock started going in my head 15 minutes. And she said, Do you want to pray first? And then I started thinking, Prayer. Yeah, we need prayer. Let's pray. I, I, let's pray. She said, do you want to pray or you want me to pray? Something about her made me say, you know what? I, I think I need her to pray. She's a lady from Ghana, a nurse from Ghana. Man, that woman prayed the kingdom down into that room. She prayed one of the most powerful apostolic prayers. And we're behind this security fence and, and, and all this in this facility. And we don't have visitors coming through. And I'm in isolation. And, and my wife is there alone with me. And this woman, she drug everything from the kingdom, from every corner of the earth, into that room that day. She was binding devils. She was covering windows. She reached out into where my kids were and was praying for my kids, praying for our church. Church. This man is the head and not the tail. He has a
future. You have ordained Him for life. I mean, that woman went crazy praying. And suddenly I thought, wait a minute, stop. We only have 15 minutes. She said, before I do this, though, she said, I need to tell your wife something because this procedure has a weird sign that accompanies it. She said, these cells have been frozen in a derivative of corn so that when he is filled, an aroma comes out of him. It's just aspirating from him, out of his, his breath and his, his cells and skin and whatnot. She said, Mrs. Mallory, don't be alarmed if something odd happens while he's being filled. She said, if you smell cream-style corn. She said, let that be a sign unto you. The doctor, Dr. Halverson, walked into the room after I'd received that first first bag of cells and he as soon as he opened the door he laughed and he said whoa he said somebody has just got their cells the reason he knew that was the evidence was undeniable They didn't allow visitors into the room. I was in isolation. Strangers didn't come by, but I had a lot of time to think. And I was thinking along lines of the parable and the parallel of the situation. And I'd already come up with in my mind what I would say if a stranger walked into that upper room experience of mine and was confronted by the strange sign of my infilling experience, they would say, what meaneth this? What meaneth this? And I would stand and say, Men and brethren, these are not cooking as you suppose, seeing as it is but a hospital room, and I have no stove. But this is that which was prophesied by my Dr. Halverson. <clears throat> Hallelujah. You can be seated. As they were filling me with the gift of life, I thought, this is one of the easiest things I have ever had to do. He gave all I have to do. You know, I thought it was going to be some complex situation. That's the way it always is. We complicate things, don't we? I thought, okay, when they come in with this, they're going to come in with drills and jackhammers. They're going to split me open, open up my bones and put the, tra- the you know, bone marrow in. That's not how it was. All they did was hang one of those bags up on a nail. It was not a nail, but you know what I mean. No machine, just gravity. It just came down from above. When the infusion of new cells was complete, we were uh, were shocked because the door burst open and every nurse that was on the third floor of the transplant wing of that hospital that was available, they all came in in one mind and one accord and they were singing Happy Birthday. 
had a chocolate birthday cake. The nurse that prayed for me, she was a master with a knife, and she had carved an apple into the shape of a dove and sat that on top of that chocolate cake, and they sang happy birthday, and they danced around, and they congratulated me. We had a little celebration service right there because they said, Today you have been born again. Today, you've been born again. This is the day that you received the gift of life from your kinsman, Redeemer. They told me, they said, this is the first day of your new life. They said, everything else is old. This is all new. Man, I went into the process 46 years old, but to them I was a newborn. I never forget. They had a board on the back on one of the walls of that hospital room, and and they would write with an erasable uh, marker. And I'll never forget the number eight. I don't know why, but she wrote the number eight, and she turned to me. The nurse turned to me after writing the number eight, and she clapped her hands like I was a baby, and said, "Congratulations, you're eight days old today." You see, I was born the first time in 1967. Then when I was 12 years old in Jackson, Mississippi, I was filled with the Holy Ghost, so I was born again. But this was July or June the 27th, 2013. I was to be born again, again. It doesn't matter if you were born this way or not. The important thing is, have you been born again? I celebrated a landmark last month. I was one and a half years old. Pastor, I'm still a new convert. I'm a babe, really. That's why if I shake hands with you and and my wife runs up behind me and gives me a Give me some of that hand sanitizer. Don't be offended. I'm a new convert and you might make me sick. Amen. I went home to our church in Maui and I had that little illustration. And I said, you know what? Sometimes you've got to pastor a little bit. We've got wonderful people. But I said, I am sick and tired of our new converts coming in and getting infected by sick saints. You see, you're mature. You've learned to live with that bad spirit you've got. You've learned how to live with a negative, critical attitude. But we've got new converts. They don't have the same level of immunity you have. So if you've got a bad spirit, stay away from our new babies. Amen. Pastor, we've got to be careful who we allow with our new converts. Now, I'm different, man. I get around our new converts. If I see somebody that I know is a gossiper and they get sidled up close to one of our new converts at a potluck, man, I'm going to get right in the middle of that conversation. The reason is that's a babe right there. They don't have the immunities built up. Amen. So when I was six months old, I got all my baby vaccinations. I got polio, 
whooping cough, hepatitis, other things. Those shots are terrible. They had to do that because, you see, all my immunities were wiped out. They were gone. I'm starting over. Listen to this. The blood cleansed me of my past so I could have a future. That's why when you get born again, some of the things you used to do in your old life, you can't do anymore. You're new. All right, I'll just let that go over your head there. When I was one year old, we were on our way to church. My wife had planned a surprise one-year-old birthday party for me. I did not know it was going to happen. We drove up into the church parking lot, and we do a lot of our functions outdoors because it's beautiful there in Maui. And outside there were lights stringing, and there was tables set up and food, and, and, and there was a beautiful birthday cake. And on top of that, birthday cake was the number one. How many of you remember your first birthday? I remember my first birthday. Our church people got a lot of mileage out of that. They They'd come up and they'd sidle up beside me saying some smart aleck thing like, Oh, Pastor, it's so good to see you feeding yourself at age one. My, how you have grown over the year. And you're out of diapers, too. That's great. I'm like, be quiet. You see, being filled happens in an instant. However, listen to this. If I wanted His blood, which is the whole point, right? If I wanted His blood to become my blood, I had to be converted. Being filled happens in an instant, but conversion is a process. It's not enough to be filled. You've got to be converted. Thank God for the blood. The blood was free. The blood was a gift. He bled. All I do is receive. However, the conversion is different. The conversion will cost me something. I'm so glad I got good doctors. They didn't just lead me to an upper room experience, get me filled with the gift of life and leave me. They said, we're going to stay with you. All the way through because it's a process. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Amen. We have too many. We have too many sitting on our pews. And the reason they don't exhibit the fruit of the Spirit is because they were filled and not converted. If you want to go beyond experience and move into true new life, you have to be converted. There's power in the blood. Wonder-working power in the blood. But you've got to be converted for it to work. Amen. I love all the denominations. People are fine. i got no beef with people. We don't criticize people and their beliefs and whatnot. But too many times, apostolics, we, we, kinda, we have things that we say disparagingly about people that stop at belief. You know, well, they, they believed and they think, that they think they're done. 
And we feel good about ourselves, but the problem is too many of us stop at experience. I don't care where you stop in the process. If you stop, you stop. Keep on going. You've got to be converted. Go beyond belief. Go past experience. Yield to the process and you'll be amazed at what the blood can do for you. That bad attitude that you've got, if you allow him to convert inside of you, Let me just say, I'm not satisfied with an experience. I want to be changed on the inside. Amen. Uh, It don't matter if you're a Pentecostal. I don't care what you call yourself. If you're not converted, your feet won't get off the ground at all when that trumpet blows because it's not you that is going to be called out. It's going to be the blood inside of you. I was in the hospital several weeks going through that process and isolation and whatnot. And when, when I was finally, you know, they felt I was strong enough to begin to, to think about venturing out of the hospital, they said everyone that has ever gone through this process, this born-again process, you have to go through an orientation class. And so they took us into a conference room, and in that conference room was a PowerPoint point presentation, and there was an instructor. There was another patient there. She was a young girl, about 18 years old, who had a carcinoma and her father, and she'd also had a transplant or a new birth experience. She said, from today, from the moment you were filled, you have just begun a lifelong process. She said, inside of you, in your bone marrow, is the old bone marrow, or the old nature, and that's what's got to go. And it don't want to go. And so we put this new in you, but there's a war going on now. And who's going to win? Now, it's in your best interest for the new to win. She says, so we're giving you doses of medication designed to weaken your old nature. And we're strengthening the new. And I thought, so I must decrease. So that he can increase. She said the the new blood will only do its work in you if you are converted. I already said that, but she said we're going to be monitoring your progress. How many of you realize that you've got to monitor your progress? You've got to examine yourself to see, are you still in the faith? Sorry, I crossed over there for a moment. She said we'll be monitoring your progress. She said, as long as the new is gaining ground and the old is losing, we're good. I wanted to be converted right away. I'm a good patient. I do whatever the doctors and nurses tell me to. If they say you can't drink water for 10 days, I do it. That's difficult. I did that a couple times. They say you can't eat. I won't eat. I want to do what they tell me to do because I want to be converted. And they said that... Um, they checked my blood and the the DNA, and they found I was only 14% new. And, man, I was discouraged. But, you know, it was only after two weeks. And when they told me that, I kind of hung my head. She looked at me like, don't hang your head. She said, as long as the numbers are going in the right direction, even at 14%, the blood is working for you. 
Amen. Praise God. She threw up a picture on the screen. It was a picture of a, 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 a creature from Greek mythology called a chimera. And it's a creature with multiple animals inside of one beast. It had the head of a goat and the head of a lion and it had the tail of a serpent or something. And she said, with a smile, she said, since you have your transplant, you are now a chimera. And I thought, so I am now a monster. She said, You are now a being with dual identities. You are part old and part new. She said the old nature may try to reassert itself, causing your numbers to slide back or backslide. She said if that happens, you might have to come back into the hospital and be refilled. She said, but don't worry. We got as much much as we needed from your donor. There's more where that came from. She advanced the slides, and I'm hurrying, I'm mindful of the time. She advanced the slides, and she said, From now on, you can no longer go where you used to go. I said, Amen. She said, You can no longer do what you used to do. She said, From now on, be careful of your associations. Man, who would have thought all I wanted was an experience? It's free. It's a gift. Come on, just give it to me. I thought that was the end of it. No, it's not the end of it. Be careful of your associations. Why? Because your conversion depends on it. She said even family members can make you sick if they're not well. She said, sometimes you have to love people from a distance. She said, use your common sense. She pointed at my wife. She said, even if you're, you know, you're his wife, but if you're sick, you can be a danger to him because he's too weak to fight it off. It takes time for the conversion to mature in you. She said, however, once it does mature from now on, even after you're strong enough, you're still going to have to take care. If there are sick people around you, come out from among them and... I added that part. However, she did say, keep your hands clean. She said, this world is a world full of contamination. Keep your hands clean. She said, you have no idea what's out there. Stay away from filthiness. Man, I like, I, I got a bird feeder at home. Man, we got all kinds of beautiful exotic birds that come into that bird feeder. And that's one of my things. I just like watching the birds and, and whatnot. She said, no, no, my wife told on me. She said, he's got bird feeder. He's got a bird feeder. She said, nope. She said, them birds have viruses and stuff. You know, you, 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 that's, that's something you can't do. And I like to garden. I got, I got an herb garden. I think it's dead by now. I like, I like growing herbs, mint and rosemary and thyme and all those things and chives. But she said, that dirt is dirty. You've got to stay. You've you, you, you got to do that. And I thought, you know what? All right, I admit, when I got born again, I had a few dirty habits. I admit. And it is going to be a little bit of a change for me. Some of the things I used to enjoy doing, I'm going to have to kind of back off. But think about what I got in return. 
You mean you're offering me new life and all i got to do is give up a few of my dirty habits? That's a good deal to me. You won't find me complaining. I'm alive. If you're somebody that wants to keep going back to your dirty habits and you care about your dirty habits more than you care about your new life, that shows you what you think of life. Sorry, I'm not beating up on anybody, but it's just the way it is. My wife started getting nervous. And she could tell it because my wife kept me alive all these years. I went for a long time with no immune system at all, chemotherapy and whatnot. And she would, she would sanitize everything. I couldn't touch anything unless she had sanitized it first. Light switches and doorknobs. And, man, if somebody came in and they coughed, man, she would usher me out of there so quick. Well, she started getting paranoid. My, my, that nurse could tell. And she said, wait, 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 wait. She said, I think I'm scaring you. She said, I want you to realize and really just go ahead and accept that what has happened to you is a positive, not a negative. She said, you have received a gift. She said, we're not asking you to be isolated from the world, just separated. (laughs) She said, the reason wasn't, there's a lot of science behind this, and I loved it, man. I was getting into this part. She was talking about all the germs that are out there and how the body defends of it. Do you realize that your flesh has little to no defenses of its own? If a virus or something sets up in your flesh, you're done if it wasn't for the blood. In fact, when it comes to the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. They're not fleshly. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but spirit. Amen. She said the blood is constantly defending you from enemies unseen, too numerous to to keep track of. She said you can't go into a bubble and live in a bubble. You cannot live in a bath of antibacterial ointment or something that will keep you safe. She said at some point in your life, you've got to depend on the blood. You've got to trust the blood. She said just live a common sense life. She said you don't have to freak out about everything. She said, but don't go looking for the filthiness that's in this world. She said, because it is possible to overwhelm the blood. She said, don't miss your appointments. You have to show up to the hospital at least twice a week. I'll let that sink in. Twice a week. My days were Monday and Thursday. What are your days? Amen. There you go. You got it. The other day, the other day I found out something new about my new birth experience, so I called my brother, you know, the one who gave me the blood. The, I could mess with him now because he'd already given me the blood and can't take it back. Yeah, I'm still the older brother. And I called him. I said, Carrie, do you realize what you might have gotten yourself into? I said, guess what I found out today? If I commit a crime, And leave behind some blood. He stopped me. He said, you dirty dog. I know where you're going with this. I said, yeah, listen. If I leave behind a trail of blood, 
the guilt of my crime would point to you and not me. Do you realize what this means legally? He said, I'm uncomfortable, even though you're a preacher. I said, you will stand between me and the law. If, if I'm guilty, they'll come looking for you and not me. You will be my advocate. My flesh might have been guilty. My flesh might have committed the crime. However, you gave me your blood. The identity of my flesh and the identity of my blood will be forever different. Legally speaking, I will always have two identities. The one I was born with and the one I was born again with. Do you realize what this means? Somebody's got to get a revelation of what this means for you. Stop letting your flesh condemn you. Stop letting every detail get pinned on you. At some point, you've got to say, Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. You can't pin that on me because you... Are there any Acts 2.38 Holy Ghost filled people in this place? You've had your own experience in an upper room. You've had your own spiritual transplant. The blood is working for you. The blood cleanses you. The blood nourishes you. The blood defends you. Thank God for the blood. You may be seated at the Passover. At the Passover, the angel of death was coming to the land. And God told them, listen, here is the, here's the antidote. Go find the blood of a spotless lamb. And apply it to the doorpost. The doorpost is a sign of, it's, it's a type of the heart. Put the blood on the doorpost. And when the angel of death comes by, he said, when I see the blood. I will pass. You are identified by your blood. All along from Genesis, God told them in the Garden of Eden, He said, He said, Listen, you can have anything here, but don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day that thou eatest of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, in that in that day, you will surely die. And so they ate of it. And they went on, they thought. Their flesh kept living, but in God's world, the flesh isn't what matters. The flesh is dirt. What died was that thing that circulated inside of them that gave them eternal life. When Eve sinned, it was localized to her. It was her sin, and that was it. Didn't go any further than that. However, when Adam sinned, God said, Now, everybody that's born is going to have it. Why? Because you get your flesh from your mom and your dad. But you get your blood from your father. 
Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Oh, man, I wish I had time to preach this. Our names, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Listen, life is what this is all about. We get caught up in the flesh, and then we get caught up in the blood. But listen, it's all about life. Because Leviticus chapter chapter, uh, 17, verse 11 said, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. The, the, The central part of that entire verse is the word life. Life is what you're after. It's hidden in the blood. When Jesus died on the cross and shed His blood, it wasn't red blood cells, platelets, T-cells, white blood cells. It wasn't plasma. It was the fact that somewhere inside of that blood was life. And when He died and shed His blood, life was released. And it was available to me and you. The first way it entered into Adam in the first place, he made man out of dust, out of clay. And then God breathed into man the breath of life. That's where life was. Follow the trail of life. And then go ahead. Acts chapter 2 in the upper room. They all had the blood of Adam. But in that experience, they breathed it in again. Hallelujah. You've got to be filled with the Spirit. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Okay, that's the parallel. Do you know what it really means? The flesh and soul. You've got a flesh body and you've got a soul body. The flesh is your temporary identity. The soul is your eternal identity. You got that? There's two different things, two different identities. Right now they're joined together in you. The thing that keeps your flesh alive is the blood. The thing that keeps your soul alive forever is the spirit. The spirit and the soul are not the same thing, just as the blood and the flesh are not the same thing. Amen. If somebody could come to the music. I told you I did not tell you the rest of the story. Let me just say this. Somebody might need this. On December the 18th, that hospital brought me back. They said, you've been, you've been born again. You've been filled. You've, uh, you're doing well with your conversion process. They said, it's been a year and a half. And so now, we have to begin to look at your heart. They said, because you have gone through a lot. And they said, what a shame it would be. We've spent over $2 million on you. We've given you new life. What a shame it would be as if we've given you new life, but you don't have the heart for it. They said, we're going to bring you in and we're going we're gonna to do everything we've got to do to scan to the, the sonograms and echocardiograms and EKGs and, and stress tests and breathing tests. We're going to do everything we can because we've got to know, do you still have the heart for it? You know, the life of the flesh is in the blood, but Proverbs says that the issues of life flow from the heart mother of Solomon, she said, she, she told him, she said to this young man, she said, guard your heart. 
man, I got new blood, but it's the same old heart I was born with. Stuff gets stuck in there. Man, we sing about the blood, how wonderful the blood is, but you see the one thing the blood can't do. The blood can't create its own flow. It requires a heart. Stuff happens, words are said, offenses, and things get lodged in the heart. The heart gets blockages. And the blood is there saying, I'm the answer. I I can do it. I can do it. Just you can't lose the heart for it. David had a flesh problem, didn't he? King David had a flesh problem. He committed adultery. He committed murder. But the reason... The reason he survived those experiences was God said, this man has a perfect heart. Man, I'm telling you, church, the process can be hard on the heart. It can be hard on the heart. I don't know what you've gone through here today. You might have been, you, you, you might have been transplanted a long time ago, but how's your heart? Can we just, right now, I'm almost done. Can we just pray for our heart? God, I need you to heal my heart. David said, create in me. He didn't say, give me a new heart. He said, create in me a clean heart. God, cleanse my heart. I don't care what you, I don't know what you've seen, what you've experienced that's got caught sideways in your spirit. Don't block the flow. Don't block the flow. God, flow through me. I know what the blood can do. It can cleanse me. It can feed me. It can defend me. But I have to have a flow. Weak heart, weak flow. Strong heart, strong flow. God, work in me. Let's all stand. All right, I didn't I didn't tell you the whole story. And the reason is because God was leading me on a journey of understanding the blood and the parable of the blood. But let me tell you, God stepped in the middle of this situation, in the middle of this process. Back on Valentine's Day of 2013 when the lymphoma team released us and they said, there's nothing more we can do for you. Your bone marrow is 70% cancer. You have tumors all over. Bulky disease. It's in your intestines. Um, It's growing and we can't stop it. Man, when they said that and I asked Julie, I said, Julie, what would you have us to do? What would you tell me to do if I was your brother and all that? When she said, I don't know what I would tell you to do, Immediately when she left the room, my wife and I looked at each other. We were 20 hours away from a church that we had served in, in here in, Miss, in well, neighboring state of Mississippi, <clears throat> in Columbia. And we said, that's where we're going. We're going to find an altar. Because the doctors don't have the answer. We've been to the experts. They don't have the answer. We've gone through so much. Now, we've tried everything. I've been a good patient. I've been faithful in my medicine and everything. I'm going to find an altar. 
So we got in the car. We drove. It was 20 hours from Washington, D.C. down. It was a Sunday. They had a special speaker. Brother Carney let me sit on the platform, and I was standing there on the platform that, that morning. I was burdened down with, you know what? There's a difference between cancer and the spirit of cancer. They're not the same thing. Cancer is just in your body. The spirit of cancer is in your soul. You can't control your body, but you can control your soul. Don't give in to a spirit of infirmity, regardless of what your body's going through. And I was standing up there, and I could feel that spirit of infirmity, that spirit of cancer coming all over me. That spirit of cancer will sap the life out of you much faster than the disease will. And I was standing there with that spirit starting to just overwhelm me. You know how you get into his presence? You enter into his gates with thanksgiving and then into his courts with praise. And so I was standing there under the burden, feeling all that, and I just began to say, thank you, Jesus. I don't know, how to, I don't know what to be thankful for. At the moment, I didn't have anything I was thankful for that I could just name. I'm about to die. I've done everything I can. Thank you, Jesus. It just started something in me. And the next thank you was a lot easier. Like priming a pump. Come on, sometimes you just got to do it. It's a choice, not a feeling. And I said, thank you, Jesus. And I got to the point where my hands went up and I began to worship God. And the Spirit of God just began to work on me. It began to, what's the word? Flow. Everything you need is in the flow. Every answer you need is in the flow. Sometimes you've got to get into the flow. I walked down into that altar area. Man, I'd seen miracles happen there. That's why I wanted to go there. I'd seen miracles happen, just like miracles have happened here. I began to walk back and forth, and I felt something start to really work on me. Tears began rolling down my cheeks, and all I could say was, God is here. I began to yell at God is here. I forgot about the disease, forgot about sickness, forgot about everything I'd gone through. It was just a moment of me and God together. That's all it was. And man, was the flow working. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And then it happened. It was like a laser beam began burning through me. Started here and went all the way down, hot, working all the way through me, went all the way to my feet. When that happened, I went over to Brother Carney. I said, Brother Carney, I said, I need you to remember something. I said, right now, God just touched me. I said, I don't know what that means. I just need you to remember it. He said, I got it logged. He said, we'll see what it means. We left there. We went to our home in Maui. Hadn't seen that doctor ever. We got into the meeting with the doctor, and I had all my medical records from the National Institutes of Health. It's like... I don't know, 1,200 pages in one year. They had all the scans and different things, and I brought it to him, and I put it on his desk. I said, Doctor, I don't know you. You don't know me. I don't know what you believe about faith. I said, I know what all this material is going to say. It's going to say stage four. It's going to say incurable. It's going to say it's bad, whatever. I said, but I was just in a church. I was just in an altar. And doctor, I need you to know before you do anything that God touched me. That doctor looked at me and he said, that's nice. 
He said, well, we're going to do all of our scans and bone marrow biopsies. And all. Man, I've had a bunch of those bone marrow biopsies, and I don't like them. But if it's going to prove that I'm okay, go ahead. Man, they did all that. He called me. He said, come into my office. We got the results in, so I went in. And all of the scans and all the times I've been going through this, nobody, none of the doctors had ever showed me the picture, the image of, of the, what was going on inside of my body, but he did. He was making a point. I found out later he's not a, really a man of faith. <clears throat> he made a point. He opened it up, his iPad, and he said, there, this is what you brought in from the National Institutes of Health. He said, you see all those dark spots? I said, wow. He said, all of those are tumor." thought, man, that's a lot. I'm glad I never saw that before. He said, now here is what we just discovered. And I was like, man, my faith was there. I know God had touched me. And so he turned the page. And when he did, there was just as much tumor. I thought, wow, I know God touched me. What's going on? And then he said, here's the results of your bone marrow biopsy. It's over 70% cancer in your bone marrow. Your spleen is huge with cancer. It took me a bit. You know what? There's two arenas. There's the cancer arena, which is part of this world, and there's the faith arena. Make sure you stay in the faith arena because that's where you can win. And so I struggled my way back to the faith arena, and I said, you know what? I don't know what that means. I just have to have durable faith. He said, over there in that room over there, and I was used to a big hospital. This is a little bitty thing, a little room. Go sit in that chair. <clears throat> the nurse is going to hook you up. You still had a port in my chest. He said, we're going to try something back from 1948. I had a lot of faith in that. He said, this was found behind the Iron Curtain in East Germany. It's an old, 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 old chemotherapy drug. He said, I don't know if it will do anything, but, you know, i got to try something. So they hooked me up. They started the drip. I was sitting there. My wife was reading a magazine, the nurse that was attending to me. She was an assistant pastor's wife on the island. That woman was, she was a sweet lady, but my Lord, she was tearing me up. She was saying, I am so tired of pastors on our island dying of cancer. And she started naming them. Pastor of that church and that church and that church and that church. She'd been a you know chemo nurse for like 25 years and had seen them all die. She said, I'm tired of all of our pastors dying of cancer on this island. She said, I had hoped you would be the one. I was thinking, you are terrible at this faith thing. When I felt it again, this time I didn't say anything. I just sat there in the chair. It started burning through me. My wife was reading a magazine. She looked over at me and did a double take. She said, Jeff, what's happening to you right now? I said, why? Can you see something? She said, yes, something is turning. You're turning red. You're going, you're red. She called in the nurse, Anita. Anita, come running in. She undid my shirt. It was turning red. They were panicked called the doctor in. The doctor came in and said, oh no, stop everything. Give him stuff to, you know, reverse this or whatever. I was like, man, I'm not worried. I've felt this before. They said, go home, go home. Go home. We can't, 
There's nothing. We got to stop this. Just go home. I went home. I knew something had happened. I stepped on my scale. I weighed myself. I looked. I was 22 pounds lighter. I called that doctor up. I said, Doc, I told you God touched me. I said, something happened to me in your office. I'm 22 pounds lighter. He said, impossible. I said, I am. He said, come back in. It was three days went by. I came back in. They put me on the scale. I was 22 pounds lighter. He said, that's not possible. Put him on another scale. Went to another scale. I was 22 pounds lighter. He said, well, I don't know what happened. He said, but something happened to you. He said, we're going to do another scan. I said, I don't care if you do another bone marrow biopsy. It's just pain. If it's going to prove that God has healed me, you do whatever you got to do. And so they did. They put me through the scans, bone marrow biopsy. That doctor called me in. He said, listen. He showed me the picture of the old. It was all the tumor. And then he turned the page. He said, in all of my years, of experience with cancer. I have never seen something like this in my life. He said, you were full of tumor. He said, but now look at you. He said, there is not a single shred of cancer anywhere in your body. He said, not only that, Your bone marrow is 100% clean. I just looked at him and I said, I told you, my God touched me. Do you know that a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I got to preach this message to one of my doctors. That doctor walked to the front. That doctor threw her hands in the air. That doctor had tears streaming down her cheeks. She said, I have never felt anything like that in my life. I got a text message from my doctor just a couple weeks ago. And the text message said, you are a miracle from God. I'm done, but God's going to do something in somebody's life right now. Can, can somebody that understands what I'm talking about, can you just get into the flow right now? Can somebody just begin to speak with other tongues? Listen, you may not need it, but this might be life or death for somebody in this room. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Come on. Hallelujah. Don't let the flesh stop you. The flesh don't want this. But the Spirit does. Hallelujah. That's it. That's it. I want somebody to take a step of faith now. Somebody take a step of faith. Come down out of the balcony. Come out of these pews. 
somebody take a step of faith up here. Motion feeds faith. Take a step of faith. Faith without works is dead. Somebody move right now. I feel it. I feel it. I feel it. 